0: Turn with me over to um, the little epistle of James, James, into chapter five. If you want a name for this tonight, it would simply be: Do not lose heart. Do not lose heart. You know, nowhere does the Bible say that when you get saved, your life will be smooth sailing. As a matter of fact, it gets when you get saved, you are, you become, in a sense, you go off the rail so to speak, with the world, because you are not now of the world. At least God doesn't want us to be of the world. We're in the world, but he doesn't want us to be of the world. And we have now a citizenship in heaven, according to Philippians chapter 3. And so our focus, you know, Paul said, if you then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ is, sitting at the right hand of God. Set your affection on things above, not on things on the earth, for you're dead, you died. And your life is hid with Christ in God. And so that's where our minds are supposed to be, is on the heavenly. But we are not living in the heavenly, we're living in the earthly. And so there's, by very nature, there's a, uh, if we are living for Christ as we should, there's going to be a friction, there's going to be a conflict in that. There's going to be times when things become difficult. The trials sometimes, even though we're children of God, the trials we can face can be overwhelming. Okay, I know Andy's been uh, doing the book of Job. And I mean, you look at what Job has gone through. He was the most righteous man that there was. And think of what he was going through in his life. It's not surprising that we are going to have our share of issues. Now, the worst thing we could do is to get to the point of discouragement to where we say, you know what, I'm just through with Christianity. I'm through with trying to do the right thing. I'm through with trying to deal with my flesh, and in and, and all of that, I'm through with Christians who, whatever, have I have problems with Christians on a regular basis. I'm through with them. All these kind of things. You might say, oh, it's not going to happen to me. Well, hopefully it never will. But don't lose heart, okay? Listen, we live in an imperfect world. We live in a world where there's going to be problems, there's going to be trials, there's going to be difficulties, there's going to be challenges, there's going to be conflicts. God, though, wants us to keep going as his children. And one of the motivators that he has given us to keep going as children, well, it's, it's kind of like it's one is very much linked to the other. One is the imminent return of Jesus Christ. And the other one is if we will stay faithful as we stand before the Lord, the rewards that God has for us, the rewards that he's going to give us as his children and so in James chapter 5 in verse 7 now verses 1 through 6 James is writing and he's rebuking those who are the rich who are treating those who are under them or who work for them he's rebuking the rich for treating those under them in a non-christian way in an ungodly way, taking advantage of them, not treating them fairly and so forth. But then it goes on to verse 7 because, um, well, not because, he switches from rebuking the rich and now he's talking about those who are under them. But really, I think this applies to all of us. These verses we're going to cover tonight, particularly verses 7 through 11. And so he says this, he says be patient therefore brethren. Okay. Uh, You know, that's sometimes the last thing you want to hear when things are not going well, but look at in verse seven, he says, be patient. Now I'm just going to read through the passage. I'm just going to read through the passage. And I want you to notice how often I'm going to emphasize the word as we go through. Be patient, therefore, brethren, unto the coming of the Lord. Behold, the husbandman waiteth for the precious fruit of the earth and hath long patience for it until he receive the early and the latter rain. Be also patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord draweth nigh. Grudge not one against another, brethren, lest ye be condemned. Behold, the judge standeth before the door." Take, my brethren, the prophets who have spoken in the name of the Lord for an example of suffering affliction and of patience. Behold, we count them happy which endure. You have heard of the patience of Job and have seen the end of the Lord, that the Lord is very pitiful and of tender mercies. Okay, what word did I emphasize? There you go. Good. I read it the way I intended. All right. Now, this is a very powerful passage, and I think there's three main ideas I want to bring tonight from the text. The first one is this. It's the matter of accountability. The matter of accountability. We did not, for the sake of time, cover verses one through six, okay? But can I tell you this, folks? Whether a person is saved or lost, there's accountability, okay? We need to understand that. There is accountability. It does matter how we live. No, the way you live does not get you to heaven. It doesn't keep you going to heaven. We know that. But the way we live does matter to God. And we know this if you examine, if you study the judgments of God. There are many believers who are saved by grace. They put their faith in Christ. And there are many believers who are, believe it or not, they're unaware that there's judgment, that God will judge them and the life that they've lived. And then there are many people who are not believers, who are not saved by grace, who do not understand that there's an accountability with God as well. What's one of the chief objections, people say? It doesn't make sense to me that a person can put their faith in Jesus Christ, the Savior, that God saves them forever and they can can just live as they please, no matter, and there's no consequences to that. Well, there are consequences to that. But there's no hell. Hell. God deals with our sin, okay? Number one, he dealt with it at the cross. That's the greatest of all judgments on our sin. And then he deals with our sin in the Christian life. When we sin, we don't confess that sin, and we start going on a path of stubbornness or rebellion. He'll chasten us. He'll discipline us in this life to straighten us out, to get us back on track. But once we die and go home to be with the Lord... We're in the eternal state and dealing from an eternal perspective. And in light of eternity, how many of our sins have been judged and taken care of? All of them. So there's no condemnation to those in Christ. There's no condemnation. So we will all give an account to the Lord for how we live. Now, for the unbelievers, there's something called the great white throne judgment, all right. For the believers, there's something called the judgment seat of Christ. For the lost, for the unbelievers, they'll stand at the great white throne judgment. The reason they're there is because they rejected the payment Jesus made for their sin. Okay, They didn't accept the payment by faith. They didn't put their faith in Christ as their payment for sin. That's why they stand at the great white throne judgment. Believers, though... They've trusted Christ as Savior. They stand at the judgment seat of Christ. The reason they're at the judgment seat of Christ and not the great white throne is because they've accepted Christ's payment for their sin. So the lost are at the great white throne. They rejected Christ's payment for their sin. The saved are at the judgment seat of Christ. They've accepted Christ's payment for sin. The great white throne takes place after The heaven and earth are destroyed and and there is an eternal state there. The judgment seat of Christ takes place in heaven. At the great white throne for unbelievers, they will give an account of their works. They will give an account to God based on the life they live, their works. At the judgment seat of Christ in heaven, believers will give an account of their works. Again, they'll give an account based on the life they've lived at the judgment seat of Christ. Unbelievers at the great white throne judgment, they will be punished based on their works. Believers at the judgment seat of Christ will be rewarded based on their works. Why? Because the punishment was taken care of. Christ on the cross took their punishment. They accepted his payment for their punishment as their own. Therefore, his payment was put to their account. That's for believers. But unbelievers have not accepted the payment Christ made. Both unbelievers and believers will be judged according to their works. But for the unbeliever, it determines their punishment in hell. For the believer, it determines his reward in heaven. His reward in heaven. But there's accountability. See, that's the point. There's accountability. And uh, hold your place here and look with me to Romans chapter 14. Now, I'm not going to be talking about the lost, the rest of the message tonight. We're going to be talking about believers. But in Romans chapter 14, a lot of your religions, by the way, they believe there is one big judgment of everybody. And of course, if you believe that, then you believe that it's... Based on how you live, that's what's going to get you to heaven. Because the Bible's very clear. There's the great white throne for the unbeliever. There's the judgment seat of Christ for the believer. In Romans 14, verse 10, it's talking to believers. And it says, But why dost thou judge thy brother? Or why dost thou set it not thy brother? For we shall all, all believers, stand before the judgment seat of Christ. For it is written, as I live, saith the Lord, every knee shall bow to me. Now, where is this taking place? At the judgment seat of Christ in heaven. Now, look what it says. For it is written, as I live, saith the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall confess to God. Every believer will bow the knee at the judgment seat, and every tongue will confess to God by the word, confess, okay, same word as in First John 1, 9, okay, it's you're your agreeing with God is what you're doing, you're agreeing with him, and every tongue shall confess to God, so then every one of us believers shall give account of himself to God, and that where it says in verse 11, confess, that fits beautifully with give an account, because give an account here is give a verbal answer, it's literally what it means. And so we will be asked, we will be talked to, and I don't know all the details of that. As we stand at the judgment seat of Christ, we will answer for the life we lived to the Lord. Now, every believer will do this. So don't be thinking in your mind, man, I can't wait till so-and-so stands before the Lord. Let me tell you, none of us will be thinking that way at the judgment seat. We will be completely open before the Lord. So, Do not lose heart. Why? Well, one is there's accountability. And can I say this on a positive note? If you, by God's grace, are doing the best you can as a believer, listen, God knows there's struggles. God knows life can be hard for us. He knows we're dust, right? He knows we're weak at times. But be faithful. Just be faithful. God's going to take care of it. Don't quit. Don't get so discouraged where you just say, oh, forget it. I'm just done with this don't do it. We're going to stand and we're going to give an account for the life we've lived. So there's the matter of accountability. But not only that, secondly, there's the matter of imminence. And this is a great motivator. What do I mean by that? Verses seven, back to James, by the way, verses seven through nine speak emphatically of the imminent return of Christ. Now, I thought back when I was in, uh, when, when I'm looking at this, I, I, I always go to this illustration in my mind when we were in junior high. I went to junior high in Florida, South Florida. Gets hot down there. Now, when I was in junior high, they didn't have air conditioning in South Florida. Can you imagine that? And so they just open If you wanted air, you open the windows and you deal with whatever, hopefully, prayerfully, there was a breeze coming through that day. But you had the classrooms, uh, and let's say I'm sitting in, in, okay, there's the front of the classroom. Here's the windows. They open up like this. So here's all these windows. And then there's the door. Uh, that They usually keep that open for ventilation. And then what they would have is they would have a hallway, but the hallways weren't enclosed. The hallways had a, a roof over them, because they were a walkway, basically, right next to the classroom. So you'd have the hallways, and there's a roof over it, but there's no walls to the hallway. You understand what I'm saying? So you've got classroom here, you've got a walkway here, a sidewalk in a sense, a hall, and then you've got yard. There's grass out here. And so, you know, the bell would ring, everybody go out in the hallways, and then you'd walk to your next class. Of course, you weren't supposed to walk on the grass, which is fine. But anyways, that's the way it was. Well, I remember in junior high, I had a, a teacher. His name was Mr. Hundley. Mr. Hundley had played minor league baseball for the LA Dodgers. Mr. Hundley was a big man. Okay, he was about six foot six. His dress shirts. Now, no one wore long sleeves. Everybody wore short sleeve shirts. His dress shirts were skin tight on his arms. They were short sleeve. They were skin tight. I mean, if he would have flexed, I think it would be. A this is just the way this guy was. I mean, he was a monster of a man. And at the beginning of the year, he was very, very strict. As I was there when I got him. It was the first year we had him for English. It was the first year we had him. He was new to the school. He got there. Here's Mr. Hundley. Wouldn't smile. He was very, like, I mean, he was striking fear in the students. Well, we had uh, what teachers would do, and they probably did the same in your class. Depends on the kind of school you went to but sometimes what they would say is they would say this they would say now look i've got to go down to the hall i've got to go down to the office i'll be right back you need to behave yourself if i come back and anybody's acting up there's going to be trouble well i always took that to heart because i was afraid of leadership now that's just the way it was i was afraid of leadership and i figured you know if i got in trouble in school i was going to get in trouble when i got home and so i didn't want double trouble And so I decided I'd behave myself. But they're always the ones who push the envelope. They're always the rowdies, and they're always the challengers. And there was a a group of kids, and one of those kids, his name was, he was a terrific baseball player. He played shortstop, and I played third base at one point on the same team. But his name was a lot of Italians in South Florida at the time. Nino Jimorasi. How's that? Nino. (laughs) Nino Jimorasi. Cocky small, big mouth kid is what he was. Well, he decided he was going to push the envelope with Mr. Hunley. And so all these kids are acting up and all that. Well, one day, Mr. Hunley was out of the room. He said, listen, if, you got, if anybody acts up, when I get back, he says, I will literally pick you up by the collar of your shirt and I will throw you into the yard. And you're not coming back in until you get a note from the principal. Guess who decided wasn't me. <laughs> he decided to act up. Mr. Hunley came into the room. He saw what was going on. He walked right up to him, literally, picked him up by his collar, like this, got his belt, carried him over, and from inside the room, threw him over the sidewalk into the yard. And of course, we're all there, <laughs> even though we didn't do anything. Okay? The point, though, is this. Now, listen the judge says, I'm going away, but I'm coming back. When are you coming back? I'm not telling you when I'm coming back, but I'm going away and I am coming back. So do what you're supposed to do, right? Now it's kind of interesting in light of, now there's, we know that there's, there's no actual punishment at the judgment seat, Christ uh, folks, but there is accountability. First John 2, verse 28, it says, Now, little children, abide in him, that when he shall appear, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. There will be shame for some believers. Because they didn't take serious the fact that Jesus is coming. Now, here's the difference with this. You might say, oh, that's, that's kind of a troubling idea. Well, then why don't we just do this? Why don't we just live for Christ? Amen. That when he appears, we'll have confidence. See, this is one of the things about the imminent return of Jesus Christ. What it does is it's a motivator for us to stay going. Now, in light of the message tonight, we're talking about not losing heart. Maybe you're going through difficulties right now. Very difficult time in your life. Listen, don't lose heart. Jesus is coming. And we believe it's imminent. Why? The Bible writers believed it was imminent. In other words, it can take place at any time. Now, we are living in a day when we, it was hard for us to believe we would ever even see the day that we're seeing the prophetic fulfillments that we're seeing with our eyes. Everything is lining up, okay? Just recently, they I don't know if you've seen any of the In Grace things. I read it before I, I saw it there, but they've done a, a, a program recently, Pastor Jim, about the red heifers, To have temple sacrifice, you need to have the ashes of a red heifer. Well, this has been holding up the whole process because they haven't been able to get a 100% pure red heifer. Well, they found some guy, he's a rancher in Texas, who is breeding them. Now, for a while, he was breeding them, but what he was doing is he was tagging their ear because that's how they would identify him. Well, that disqualifies the heifer because now he's not perfect anymore. He's got a blemish but they have shipped several of them to Israel and they're in Israel now and they're being examined. There's a certain period of time. It's like a probationary period where they watch them and they examine them and they make sure that they're completely pure. When that time comes, then they'll have the red heifers that they need to do the temple sacrifices. And they, they do that with the ashes. But here's the issue. We know that's part of the temple sacrifice and temple worship during the tribulation period in the rebuilt temple, which doesn't exist today. But folks, all these things are lining up, all the implementations, all the different tools and everything that they need for temple sacrifice. Good grief. They had those back around 1990. A lot of them were already built. That's what, 30 years ago. What I'm saying is this, Jesus is closer than he's ever been. Don't get discouraged, okay? Stay on track. He's coming back very, very soon. The Lord could come back at any moment. You'd be surprised, though, on how many people who have believed all their Christian lives about the imminent return of Christ, pre-trib rapture, how many people in the days in which we live are abandoning that position and caving into the issue of, well, we don't know. Or, well, I think he's going to come back during the tribulation. Or, well, I think he's going to come back at the end of the tribulation. Now, listen, folks, to abandon a position that, in my mind, is so clear in Scripture— The only reason I can think of that a person would abandon that is because he hasn't come back yet. And they're weary of waiting for him. Can I ask you tonight, are you weary of waiting for Jesus to come back? Do you ever get that way? You're just weary. And you just, your earnest prayer, oh Lord, please come back. Well, listen, he is going to come back. He promised us he would, and he will. The Bible writers saw The rapture as an imminent event. Go back with me to James 5. Look at verse 7. Look at the language. James is writing to Christians. He says, Be patient, therefore, brethren, unto the coming of the Lord. Now think about that. Just that phrase for a moment. Be patient until the coming of the Lord. Say it again. Be patient until the coming of the Lord. Is it not obvious that James believed Jesus could come before the people he was talking to died? That's what he's saying. He could come back before your lifetime is over. Be patient. He's coming back. That's what he believed. Behold, the husbandman waiteth for the precious fruit of the earth and hath long patience for it until he received the early and the latter So we see in verse 7, be patient until the coming of the Lord. It's clear that James believed staying faithful until the Lord came back was achievable for his day. By the way, the early and the later rains, early would be October, November, and later would be April and May. Okay, Palestine or not Palestine, Israel has two main rainy seasons every year. But not only be patient unto the coming of the Lord, verse 7, look at verse 8. Be ye also patient, there it is again, establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord draweth nigh. James says the coming of the Lord draws nigh. In verse 7, he says, be patient unto the coming of the Lord. So he could come back in your lifetime. And then he says in verse 8, the coming of the Lord is drawing near, nigh. It's close. It's close. Now, why would he say that if there were all these other things that had to take place in the world before Jesus could come back? He had to believe in imminence. He had to believe Jesus was coming soon. I know people say, yeah, but he didn't. So maybe James wasn't right. (laughs) Now, wait a minute. That's an attack on the inspiration of Scripture. It's in here, it says what it does because that's what God wants us to know. It's true. This is a fact. But then we have verse 9. He says, grudge not one against another, brethren, lest ye be condemned. Behold, the judge stands before the door. The judge stands at the door. Now, if I was to tell you Somebody standing at the door. If we're in a room, there's the door. And I said, somebody standing at the door. How many of you would think that the person was near? Yeah. You say, well, open it up. I guess it depends on who it is. (laughs) You know, go hide in a bedroom or something that has no windows. Uh, The judge stands at the door. So in verse seven, be patient until the coming of the Lord, till you see him. Verse 8, the coming of the Lord draws nigh. Verse 9, the judge stands at the door. How could anybody deny that the Bible teaches the imminent return of Jesus Christ? Now, folks, this is so important. So what have we seen? We've seen the matter of accountability. We're all going to give an account. Secondly, we've seen the matter of imminence. Jesus could come back at any moment. Therefore, stay faithful. Don't lose heart. Don't get discouraged. Keep on might say, oh, well, it just doesn't, yeah, you know, I share the gospel. I'm not seeing people saved and all that. Are you being faithful? Keep on, stay faithful. And third, what do we see? We see that it is a matter of perseverance, keeping going or a matter of endurance. Look at verse 10, James five ten. Take my brethren, the prophets. He's given an example who have spoken in the name of the Lord for an example of suffering, affliction, and of what? Patience. We need to be patient. Verse 11, Behold, we count them happy which endure. You have heard of the patience of Job, and have seen the end of the Lord. In other words, what the Lord would do, or what he did, that the Lord is very pitiful and of tender mercies. You notice in verse 11, we count them happy, which endure. The word endure means to persevere, to stay faithful, to stay, keep going. Don't get discouraged, okay? I know we get weighed down with the stuff of this world. Let's just keep our focus. God didn't say it was going to be easy, but he said it's important. And he says if we do that and we run the race all the way to the finish line, we're going to be happy that we finish the race. We're going to be happy. This is not to be saved, but to live a successful and fruitful Christian life. Now, I think it's interesting that James uses Job as an example. All that Job went through, in the end, what did the Lord do? Sorry to take this from you. Spoiler. God gave him double of what he had. Has anybody outside of the Lord Jesus Christ suffered like Job did? I don't think so. For as long as Job did. Now, I don't know the time frame. Do you have an idea? We don't know that either. But Job endured at seeing him who was invisible. Job, listen, he, he dealt with discouragement. He dealt with idiots surrounding him, barking continually these false accusations and all the things. He dealt with the physical pain. He dealt with the loss, the emotional pain. He dealt with all of this. But his point was, I'm not going to give up. I'm going to stay true to my God. I'm going to see him. I know he's real. I'm not going to quit. And out of all the people in the Bible that James could have used, he uses Job because I don't think anybody outside of Jesus suffered more than he did and had a rougher life than he did. And why would James say it? Well, obviously, he's under inspiration, but he would say it, folks, to get us to understand, you know what? Things may be rough for you right now. But don't forget what Job went through. If he did it by the grace of God, we can do it by the grace of God. We count them happy, which endure. We need to remain faithful to live out our purpose. Okay, folks, don't quit. Stay faithful. Stay true to the fundamentals of the Christian life. It will be worth it all. The Lord says we will be happy if we endure. He promises that. As a matter of fact, you're here in James 5. Hold your place and go to chapter 1. It says in verse 12, James 1 verse 12, Blessed is the man, happy is the man, that endureth temptation, and that can be trials as well. It can be the temptation to quit even. Blessed is the man that endureth temptation, for when he is tried he shall receive the crown of life which the Lord hath promised to them that love him. When he has tried. Stay faithful. You're being tested. You'll stand at the judgment seat of Christ. And if you have remained faithful, you will receive the crown of life. This is not salvation. You're already saved. He's talking to brethren. This is a reward. One of the many rewards God promises to faithful Christians. The crown of life. There are five crowns in scripture. Five crowns mentioned. You got the same idea. You're in James. Keep your place in chapter five. Go over with me to Revelation chapter two. Revelation chapter two. He's the Lord here in Revelation chapter two, in verse ten, he's talking to the church or the angel, the messenger of the church in Smyrna. Went through difficulty, went through trial, went through persecution. And it says in Revelation 2.10, Fear none of those things which thou shalt suffer. Behold, the devil shall cast some of you into prison. Folks, could happen to us, right? That could happen to us before the rapture. It's possible. You might say, well, wouldn't that be the tribulation? No, it wouldn't be the tribulation, but it would be tribulation. It would be trouble, trials, difficulties, but it's not the tribulation. That's a seven-year period of time. The Bible's clear about that. Look what he says. Fear none of those things, which thou shalt suffer. Behold, the devil shall cast some of you into prison, that you may be tried, and you shall have tribulation ten days. Be thou faithful unto death, and I will give thee a crown of life. Now, they already had eternal life because they trusted Christ the Savior. But if they would be faithful unto death, God says, I have a special reward for you. Now, this, by the way, is also called the martyr's crown. The martyr's crown. Be faithful unto death. I will give thee the crown of life. You're in Revelation. Go to chapter 22. Last chapter in the Bible. And here's what the Lord says. And again, perfect dovetail harmony with James. Amazing. Amazing. He says in verse 12, And behold, I come quickly, and my reward is with me, to give every man according as his work shall be. There it is again. Now it's written to believers. Behold, I come quickly, and my reward is with me, to give every man according as his work shall be. Folks, listen. Don't lose heart. Don't lose heart. Stay faithful. It's a matter of accountability. We're going to give an account to the Lord. It's going to be worth it. If we're faithful, there's going to be reward. It's a matter of imminence, and it's a matter of perseverance. Behold, listen, we're going to be counted happy if we endure. It's going to be worth it. Stay faithful. Any day, we'll be going home. Any day, we'll be going home. This one person, they keep sending me videos. What about this? This is an eye opener. You got to watch this. You got to do this. These videos are like an hour long. Okay. Where am I going to put that in my day? I, I just, I can't watch all these things. I, now, listen, if you've got a short thing you want to send me, send it. I'll watch the short ones, okay? But unless something is literally, I've got to know this, it's just more stuff about the, you know, you know, uh, there's these people in the dark, looming in the shadows. You know, these people, they've got this plan for the world and that plan. And there's this conspiracy and there's the Illuminati and there's all the different thing. Listen, to worry about that stuff is to forget that God's in control. God is going to bring about his plan. It doesn't matter whether it's through Irishmen or Italians. Okay. He's going to bring about his plan. Don't worry about it. Hey don't worry about it (laughs) it's gonna be okay it's gonna be okay and it will be okay listen folks do you know how many people are making money continually pumping out one program one video after another after another after another to unsettle you and me to become fearful and other people to become fearful one of the main reasons I got that book in stock, the Reset Book, is because it is a sane, accurate, biblical book that lets you know what you need to know without getting you bogged down with a million things to worry about. What happens if it goes to a one-world currency tomorrow? Did the Lord go on vacation? If that happens, was that did He not allow that in His plan? Is that not going to affect everybody? Oh, I know how I'll be protected. I need to call Roslyn Capital or whatever it is. (laughs) Get some gold. Okay, where are you going to put it? Under your bed? Now, again, if you've got gold, I'm not making fun of you. Okay, if that's what you want to do, that's fine. I'm just saying this, folks. Listen, yeah, there is going to be a financial global reset one day. We know that because there's going to be a one-world currency. But is God not in control? God's in control. I'm not going to worry about it. God's going to take care of me. And if he says, oh, no, you know what? It's time for you to come home. It's like, we're out of here. Let's go. Let's go. Take me home, Lord. Verse 22 or chapter 22, verse 17. And the spirit and the bride say, come and let him that heareth say, come and let him that is athirst thirst come. And whosoever will let him take of the water of life freely. Now that's salvation. Final invitation of the Bible. Look up here. Do you know you're going to heaven when you die? I hope you do. You need a payment for your sin if you're going to get into heaven because we're all sinners. To get into heaven, the sin's got to be gone. Yet we're sinners. What are we going to do? The only thing that will pay for sin is a death payment. Death. Good works do not pay for sin. You got to be sinless to get into heaven. If you piled A whole lifetime of good works. It doesn't take away the sin. It only covers it. It's got to be gone for you to get in. That's why you can't save yourself. And that's why Jesus came. He came to earth, God in the flesh, the sinless one. And he went to the cross and he paid for our sins. So we don't have to pay for our sins. And he died and was buried and rose from the grave. And he says, if you'll believe, if you trust in him that he made that payment for you, he'll give you as a gift, everlasting life. Look at verse 17. Let him that is a thirst come, and whosoever will, let him take of the water of life freely. You're taking of him. You're you're receiving Christ as your Savior. You're putting your faith in him that he died and he has paid for all your sin. And when you do, all your sin is forgiven. It's all taken away, and he gives you everlasting life. No reason to worry. You're in his hands forever. He'll never lose you. He'll never cast you out.